Welcome to Noble Warrior. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about what it takes to create a life and a business of purpose, joy, and fulfillment. My name is CK Lin. I've been a PhD from UCLA. I've been a director from the University of California. I've been a tech executive. I've been an executive coach. I've been on a quest to create a life of purpose, meaning joy and fulfillment. My next guest, he is an Emmy award-winning producer. He's the host of the TV series, Success in Your City, recently launched on amazon.com and successinyourcity.com. He's a podcaster, a speaker, an author, advisor, a crowdfunding expert, and a media expert. Please welcome Brendan T. Adams. Hey, man. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Let me start out with something easy. How was box breathing for you as a way to start off a podcast? Good. You were the first person to put me through box breathing before. <laughs> no, and I've been on a lot of shows, so I love it. Awesome. Do you have a uh, regular meditation process or have you done breath work regularly as a way to get into things? Yeah, I've done breath work. I've done meditation, uh, yoga. I did yoga this morning, which feels amazing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, it, it's a great way to clear your head. And also I think about the times I go on camera. A big thing is sometimes you have this not anxiety for some people anxiety but it's all this energy and you need to release that before you go in front of the camera so i've done breathing i'll go like that i'll jump up and down I'll move my fingers toes and everything and release that like excited energy so i think it's very important i also do the cold pool thing which is a breathing too where you go in a cold pool or ice bath and and obviously when you do that like your reactions like oh, jump out and it's so you got to really control your breathing and uh, yeah so breathing is important otherwise we die yeah thank you for sharing that so you're a professional speaker and speaking is part of your path and for a lot of people speaking is one of the biggest fears right? <laughs> in, in toastmasters they say uh, the fear of Public speaking goes even before the fear of death. So people rather die than speaking in front of people. So as a professional speaker, what do you do as a way to get yourself ready? I know you, you share a few, but are there some core ones that you must do or that, you, that you've cultivated over the years as a way to anchor yourself in a place of confidence and, and just yeah. total presence, total power? Should I be speaking to uh, a person that's doing speaking or somebody that's scared shitless to even talk? <laughs> yeah, let's do both. Okay. Do both. So first off, for somebody starting out and, and to give you perspective, my background, when I was a kid, I actually had a speech impediment. I was born with a lisp. So my S's and sometimes my sh's, like I, I couldn't enunciate. And so that was a disadvantage for me. So go, coming from a professional speaker, I didn't at one point couldn't speak well. And so how I mastered that, and for anybody who's looking to become a better speaker, practice. I would practice in front of a mirror. I would look at myself and how I communicated, and I would say different words. And then I just I built that into my subconscious. I remember saying, I am a great communicator. I am great at sales. 
This was at a young age, by the way. I was like 10 years old, then 12 years old. And, and then how I conducively would work to get better is I did what everybody talks about being afraid to go speak in front of a group. So I would volunteer to go speak in front of a group for a class project. At different events we go to, there's opportunities to go take the mic. I would do that, even though I was scared shitless. So doing things that, that you're scared of to put yourself in a position where it doesn't, it's a lot easier next time. So go and volunteer to speak in front of groups and you'll slowly become better at communication. Now, if you want to become like the best at speaking and communicating and taking a stage and I'll go through my routine before, first off, the best speakers are great storytellers. Mm. Look at Tony Robbins. If you've been, I know you have, but if anybody's ever been to a Tony Robbins event, let's say at Unleashed Power Within, you notice he's sharing a lot of stories from past experiences. He's going back to moments in his life and other people's lives. And because of that, we're more likely to engage with it. And it's proven when somebody shares a story, the likelihood of us to retain the information because we can visually we hear it, but we also can see in our minds, we're more likely to retain the information. And also, it brings this emotional effect for us. So we may not remember everything they said, but we'll remember how they made us feel. And then when you do share those stories, those people in the audience, the person in the stories that you share, that person might be that person. So, oh, that's me. I can relate with that person. So share a lot of stories. What I do before I go on stage is I have a few things. One, it's not a gospel. I work out six, seven days a week. But before I go on stage, I do a workout because it, it gets all my excitement out. It makes my skin look better. I perform at a higher level. And it's proven when you exercise, there's a certain part of your brain that is engaged that allows you to be more creative, allows you to be happier, allows you to be more energy. And so I work out before I go on stage. Before stage, let's say 16 minutes prior before taking the stage, I don't really want to talk to anyone. I want to be by myself. I want to think about what I'm going to talk about. I pray. I believe in a higher power and I'm, I'm asking for the higher power to help me in communicating the words I do to the audience. And then right before going up, depending on the event I'm at, what I have is I'll, I'll be behind stage, I will go on one knee, I'll pray, I'll pull my head down, and I have this video that plays, and I know the sequence of the video. So it's an intro video to who I am and everything. And at the end of the video, as soon as the video's done, very strategically, I have the song Eminem, his song Till I Collapse, start playing. Mm. And it's at the 48-second mark. It has to be at the 48-second mark. And then what happens is it goes until a minute 12. So I jump, I go on stage and I, I go to one side of the stage and I go like this. I clap. I go from the right side, left side, right side. I jump into the audience, not on them. I run around and I build the energy and then I come back on stage and then I start with a question. You start with a question, you can engage them to think about what am I going to answer? So always mm. be asking questions throughout your talk and then again, sharing stories throughout and being unpredictable. 
the best speakers. I don't want to be monotone all the time. I want to go high and exciting and be unpredictable. <laughs> you just don't know what's going to happen. So you have to be entertaining because if you're a boring speaker and you're monotone, nobody's going to fucking listen to you. And also as a speaker, as Tony Robbins will share this, he does it a whole nother level. He talks about how he says this. He'll tell you, he said, hey, just so you know, I cuss. He said, I'm, I'm going to cuss. And just so you know, there's a reason why I do it. Because it's proven when people cuss, an audience is jolted because they're like, whoa, he just said that. And it's like a igniter for them to be more engaged to listen. I don't do it on the level of Tony Robbins because when I was at his event, I counted. He said 100 F-bombs in 22 minutes. Wow, um, that's a lot of F-bombs. That's a lot of F-bombs. <laughs> Shit, but he talks about it. He said all these words. And he's, they're just words. But he said it's proven. It'll engage you. So intentionally throughout my talk, depending on the audience, because a corporate audience might not like that, I will say fuck or I'll say a certain word and it will jolt somebody, engage them, and they'll be, like, they'll be more lively. So mm. I guess these are more techniques in terms of how to engage an audience and become a really good speaker. But the biggest things in terms of preparing yourself on stage is I think exercise is important. I like to fast. I don't like to eat before I go on stage. I want to feel like I'm light and I, I stay myself before I go on stage. I don't want somebody talking in my ear. I pray, I go up on stage and it's sometimes I feel like a blackout because I get off stage. I'm like, what just happened? But I'm so in my zone and how my thoughts are organized. I wrote out my whole talks before. And so I'll know in my mind, this comes next, this comes next, but I'm open to change the script based on what's happening in the room. So you essentially capture a mini heels journey from speech impediment to really leaning to your discomfort and speaking on any opportunities you got to getting really good. And then you share with us how you prepare yourself before this uh, speaking engagement, how you right before it, you exercise, you anchor yourself, you listen to Eminem. You put yourself in a zone and then right away you go into running around and asking a powerful question as a way to engage the audience. And then you, what else did you do? Then you uh, would drop F-bombs. Maybe yeah. not, not, not as many as Tony Robbins, but doing it strategically as a way to engage an audience. Did that capture roughly your uh, hero's journey around That's speaking? 100%, yes. So this is, this, let me share a little bit about my story. And I think that's a good way to go into the learning process, the, the metacognition aspect of it. So for me, I've always been taught to, kids are seen, but not heard. That, that was the way that we were taught growing up. So I, I always censor myself when I was growing up. And then after coming to the United States, I made a, a conscious decision to learn English, but nonetheless, I had still had to overcome whatever inner chatter that I have about my accent or anything like that. <clears throat> so I had to imitate TV anchors or actors on Friends or, or Seinfeld as a way to learn the American accent. And then afterwards, during graduate school, I joined Toastmasters. And that was the beginning of my transformational journey, actually. And, and I had to overcome my fear of speaking in crowds. It's so interesting. I recounted back the first few public speaking 
uh, engagement that I had, however small the audience was, I literally had to print out verbatim each every word. Hello, my name is that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to even express my thoughts because the fear was so prominent. Yeah. So let's actually talk a little bit about, I will get into the strategic relationship and so forth, but I want to get meta for, for, for a moment about the learning process because you and I were passionate aficionados of personal development. Could you share with us a little bit about how you go about learning today as a way to really intentionally grow yourself to be the best version of yourself? Yeah, so a big thing I do is I'm always soaking things up, willing to learn. I think the best way for us to learn is learn from other people that are doing what we do. And and just learning, taking one bit of uh, maybe uh, technique from them or or tip. So like, for example, I've, I'll sit down on YouTube videos and watch talks. And I'll pick apart pieces that I like and don't like. And then I'll implement them into... Uh, my talk. And, and so that's one thing, or like I saw, we're both in metal. Ken Rutowski gave me this idea once and it was really good. And he said, Hey, he would have an influential friend of his create a, a short snippet video custom to the audience. And then he would show that during his talk. So it's, everything's customizable. So then wait, wait, I, came back up. What do you mean by that? So Maybe for, I wasn't paying attention. So one more time, what did you say? So let's say, Give an example. Yeah. Um, I'm talking at an event mm-hmm. and I, here's an example. I'm talking to a group of, uh, let's say, people that are in the, the ice business. I just throw that one out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I'm going to, I get one of my mentors to create a video and say, hey, and here's, I'll say Kevin. Hey, Kevin, you want to create a video that says, hey, all you ice business people, I just want to share a few things with you. I know Brennan speak with you today. I'm going to share three tips I've learned and how it can help you. And then let's say that goes for two minutes. I will take that video and implement it into my presentation. And that video will play during my talk. So it's not just me giving a talk. It's me bringing in my inner circle. And they get a, a very interactive experience where they're calling out the audience. And so that was just one thing I learned from one of my mentors. And so always be willing to learn. I study people. I see what they do very well. And I take it and I implement it. And I try it at different speaking events. Not all of them work, but I try them. So trial and error. Sorry, to interject real quick. So in the case of, let's say you and I speaking, yeah, it would have been wise for me to say, hey, Brendan, can you record a two-minute video to my Noble Warrior audience? say hey i'm speaking about the power of networking communication and strategic partnership like that yeah like that got it got it so that's one side of learning so having a mentor having you got a mentor you got a coach you got somebody that can give you advice learn from people that have been there before because there's always somebody out there that's done at a high level that you can learn from don't ever think that you know it all because you don't so that's one and then completely emerging yourself in the content and what you're doing. So again, I'm relating back to speaking, but like before I go to an event, I will 
I will see who's all going to be in the room. I'll see what's all going in, on in society, everything that pertains, the timely thing that pertains to what's happening. And then I'll go and I'll write out this, all this content, I'll brainstorm about all this on a doc. And so this is me opening up my mind to all these different ideas. And usually my best ideas happen right before I do a talk. So it's like this brainstorming session that I can take these pieces and implementing them. So for anybody else, for any kind of thing you're trying to master, always be brainstorming different ways to do things differently and reinventing yourself. Don't always try to do the same old thing. Always reinvent yourself and be spontaneous because in the world we live in, people want to see the next new thing, the next a different way to do it. Those are two things. And then the other thing I read every day and I uh, listen to audiobooks. I, I was just on a book tour and I, I went through four audiobooks in 12 days. <laughs> the more you listen we listen to that regular speed or a little sped up to 2x, 3x. I do regular. All my friends say they do 2x. I just, I never did it. I don't know if I, maybe I'm, I'm slower in the listening realm, but I just like to listen to the, the right speed. Yeah. So I'm a recovery, recovering, shall we say, cerebralist. In okay. my younger days, I'm in my 40s now, but in my younger days, I always thought faster is better because that means I get to take in more information and knowledge. And these days, I actually appreciate more and more the spaces between the words because yeah. it's a lot of times today, I actually don't just care about the content. Content is great. Don't get me wrong. I still appreciate content, but I appreciate even more the energetic transmission. Now, what does that mean for the younger CKs that are listening? What the fuck was that? That means is the power of the pauses, the power of intonation, the power of storytelling. It's not just about words. So to, I'm speaking to a professional communicator here, right? So maybe you can chime in here. It's not just the words, the information, those are great. And for a message to land it's how you talk about it it's yeah. how you really navigate and then play with the emotions the tensions that's in between the spaces i'm curious to hear your thoughts sometimes a pause in silence is the best thing that can happen if you want to talk about sales they're all saying like the person that talks the most loses the person that talks the least wins the more you listen the more data you get but for in terms of speaking sometimes if you want to really uh get something across you say it and then you say nothing and let them acknowledge what just happened so say and then also how you say it how you say a phrase like what is success or what is success and so it changes the way you, you enunciate your words and how you communicate to your audience and the tone level and whether it's high or low, like that will really determine how it's interpreted. So work with it, play with it. It's all, I'm always like trying new things when I'm speaking to other people, but there's a lot to it in terms of those gaps, talking fast sometimes or, or really pounding something home. And, and this is how people become really good communicators as you understand. Intellectually, I understand I'm trained professionally as a, as an engineer, 
Yeah. So, so it might again bring you know, let me throw the younger CK under the bus because he's an easy target there. My younger days was more about information. Let me just convey the logical solution to you and how I'm pitching you or enrolling you. It doesn't matter. It's just what it is. But then the more, the older I get, it's like, oh, wow, there's an art. There's an importance. There's an emphasis on storytelling. So I'm still uh, learning, right? There's the unconscious incompetence. There's a conscious incompetence. There's conscious confidence and there's unconscious confidence. Right now, I, I would say very much maybe hovering on the conscious competence part. There's always room for improvement. So what would you say as a way to get better at the art of storytelling? For one, get more stories. <laughs> so here's a way. So when I go to, I have all these stories in my head, right? So I have these, let's say these files of stories that I can grab from. So I will know which stories to grab from based on the talk that I'm doing. So last mm -hmm. night I gave a talk to some students and before we started, it was a group of 20 of us. I asked them all who they had to say their name, where they're from, what their major is and what their one question is for me. Mm. And so because of that, I was gaining this data to know what stories to grab from. And I have mm. all these stories. So based on that response, I, my talk is catered with those kind of stories in mind. So mm. for a, while, a lot of different cool stories and learn how to tell them stories in a way that really engages the audience. And you'll learn as you do a lot more talks, you're going to see, you're going to read the audience, what really took home to them and what did it. And so know that. So have a lot of stories to pull from and choose the stories, your talk that would relate most with the audience you're speaking to. You need to speak to them in a way that it's not a story that they can't relate with. Mm. So find a way to gain a common ground where you all feel like, oh, we're just people here, like a tribal. We're all we're in a circle here around a fire. We're all the same kind of people here. And all I'm doing is sharing impactful stories that they can all relate to, which makes them feel like they're a part of that story. They are that story. That is them. And I'm showing them a way to overcome whatever it is, the obstacle in their story. I like that. Let me use a, a martial arts analogy here. I think I was noble warrior. Sorry. So yeah. obviously you gotta give a martial arts analogy here. So it's like you learn the basics, you learn the, the punches. Yeah. Bruce Lee said, I'm not afraid of man who knows 10,000 kicks and practice them one time. I'm afraid of a man that knows one kick and practice them 10,000 times as an example. So know your basic atomic unit of the stories that you wanted to tell and then hone those stories and practice them in the dojo, practice telling them and also and cater to the audience, give them relevant stories. So in martial arts, we practice kata, right? The forms you practice over and over again. And based on the situation doing sparring, then you can bring out the different parts of the forms in cater to what's relevant in the situation. Then is that an accurate recap? It is. Yes. Always be practicing. And one thing I do to always stay on top of my game for whether being in front of the camera or my storytelling is I create videos every single day that I share with the world through social media 
And so I'm always trying new things to see what works and doesn't work. And I'm also practicing like that's practicing my storytelling. That's practicing my communication. That's actually perfect. So let me ask you this because as thought leaders, as professional speakers, as someone who cares to share our wisdom, our stories, our lessons with the broader audience, professionally or personally. One of the pitfall that I see is there's a lot of desire and, but there's some invisible barriers to actually publishing every day. And I'll make it personal for me. I, I, I want to share, but at the same time, I don't. So yeah. what would you say to someone like me who could offer a lot of value to others, but just not haven't found either the motivation or the, or maybe there's some fear that I'm not aware of to actually engage with Instagram, Facebook, whatever social media to actually, as you said, practice every day to tell stories. Yeah. So two ways to, to think about this. One is think about the outcome that's going to come from it. And then two, you think about, it's not about you. It's about the people that could be impacted by your message. And when you think about that way, it, you no longer have to think, okay, I don't want to do this or I'm going to look bad. It's not about that. I'll give you an example. Like this morning, I woke up at 4.50 a.m. I wanted to stay in bed. I didn't, I'll be honest. I wanted to lay there next to my wife and not go and go exercise. But I thought about the outcome that would come from after exercise and how I'd feel. I walked over. It's 30 degrees here. It's cold in Minnesota. And I went to an hour from 5.30 to 6.30 a.m. I was in warrior sculpt yoga. And it's like intense, sweating, everything. And throughout the process, yeah, like I didn't absolutely love everything I was doing. But I knew the feeling afterwards. So I think about how do I feel afterwards from what I do and what's the impact that come afterwards? Because you're not always going to be excited about creating the videos. I'm not always excited about it. And so that's one way to think about it. What's a result that will come from it? And then once you get those results, it's a lot easier to go do those videos. And for me too, knowing through the videos that I put out and for anybody putting them out, yeah, the results could be getting a deal, could be impacting somebody's life. I always think of it this way. This video could change somebody's life. This video could make me a million dollars. This video could save somebody's life and by not doing that video that won't impact somebody's life that won't make me the money and i found the times that i least want to do the video is when i tell myself brandon you got to go do the video and usually when i do it i'm rewarded by it in some way and so that's how i've been consistent and once you get the wins again like from the videos i put on social media here's a couple wins I had one Facebook Live I did four years ago that landed me in a movie and landed me a big deal. I had one video that led to a lot of deal flow. I had one video that led me to like powerful friendship and relationship with somebody. Like these videos lead to opportunities that you would never thought of, but you got to create them and you have to be consistent with them. So that's my advice in terms of creating the content. And also, if you want a core theme in terms of content, we share who we are as people, our beliefs. We share what? I'm sorry. What do we you share on your videos, share who you are, mm -hmm. what you believe in, what you stand for, what you do, 
how you help people, how you help people in your area of expertise, and then repeat. That's what you do. Share who you are, what you do, how you help people. Who you are, what you do, how you help people. And share valuable advice. Get your best nuggets. And your, if you're a coach, you're a speaker, you're a marketer, whoever you are, share your best advice on social media. Because what you're doing is you are building your authoritative status and you're building a relationship with other people that are watching you. And they, come on, the internet, we got access to YouTube videos and everything. They're, at the end of the day, they're going to build trust with you through those videos. And eventually, they're going to hire you versus somebody else that isn't doing the videos, the one that thinks, oh, I don't want to give out too much. You're not giving anything out, and then nobody even trusts who you are. They don't know you actually do what you say you are in this online world. And that leads to the opportunities for you. So in doing this podcast, one of the most surprising things for me as a journey, when I started out doing this, it was in full transparency, a great excuse to actually talk to really interesting people. And I love yeah. talking to interesting people. And now, so that's the way I, I think about it. The payoff is happening right here and now. We're co-creating this moment together. I enjoy it. I hope you do as well. Yeah. And now anything beyond that, whether it's the business thing or the, or the thought leader thing or the branding thing, those are all bonus points. But one of the, the most surprising thing for, for me, that is when one of the guests and I were talking about his journey, his dark night of the soul moments, his you know, belly of the well moments, his facing his own shadow and darkness moments, where he was staring at the barrel of his gun and he chose to not pull the trigger. And someone was listening. And he said, he sent to me afterwards, hey, thank you so much for actually engaging in that conversation. Because of COVID, I lost my job. I had to face total destruction on my business. And I was actually thinking about planning uh, suicide. And so literally we saved a life in that conversation. And that actually stuck with me uh, ever since. My egoic mind wants to go for the Joe Rogan numbers, right? Like I, I'm not da, 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 until I have that level of status. But in reality, I also am very keenly aware of it's not about the numbers. It's actually about an audience of one. If one person actually get impacted, the younger CK, the younger Brandon's listening to this, who's hungry for inspirational stories, wisdom from the likes of Brandon, that actually makes it super worthwhile to even go through whatever effort we go through together to share, to excavate things that we wish we had learned when we were younger. You and I, very similar. I got into podcasting for the same reasons five years ago, is to connect with very interesting people. But then it became more than that. And whether it's saving somebody's life or helping them. And I look at all the podcasters out there. I think there's that core theme. The reason why they do what they do. Yeah, yeah, they make money from it. But those listeners that reach out and have their life impacted in such a way, that's what drives them because they're like, oh, my work actually means something. And you look at the Joe Rogans. I love his show. But Joe Rogan started with no listeners. We all start with no listeners. And the biggest key to build an audience is consistency, great content, and marketing what you do. And just keep doing it and keep mastering, sharpening your sword and, and bringing the value to the world. And that will attract more people.
one story at a time. I actually really like that. So let me, so I agree with you hundred percent and for the younger CK, again, he's an easy target, right? Yeah. Listening who is doing this, who believes in this. And at the same time, he's speaking to the ethers. Nothing's yet coming back to him yet. What would you say to him? I'll say to you, here's the thing. I, looking back on my journey, because I was there once. We all were. the young. I'll say the younger BTA. I like that. that. BTA. That's BTA. Yeah, yeah. Brandon T. Adams, I, I would say BTA. Yeah. I stole from John Lee Dumas. He always called himself JLD. So I'm like, I'm going to call myself BTA. Yeah, yeah, great. So BTA was, was a guy that was motivated, that knew he had the potential to do big things, but he wasn't seeing the results he wanted. And he was hitting roadblock failure after failure and obstacle. And it felt like there was no like light at the end of the tunnel while also feeling crazy because everybody else questioned what he was doing. But eventually, after enough obstacles and heartache and, and not seeing what he wanted, eventually, out of nowhere, something happened. Something came out of nowhere. That was like this huge win, uh, overnight success. And, and so once you find that, which you will, if you really work towards what you're doing, you do consistent daily work towards your goals. Once you get that once win, or that one win, You'll realize that it was worth it. And then once you, as a seasoned entrepreneur, and I, by the way, I got a long ways to go. I'm only 30, but I'll tell you in the last 10 years, I've seen a lot of lows and a lot of highs. And every time now when I experience an obstacle, here's what I do. I say, Brandon, what is the lesson I can learn here? And how can I use this obstacle as a way to grow and make it a win? And Usually, well, always, any obstacle I have, when I look at it that way, I find a way to use that to make me better and to grow. So looking at that listener now that hasn't got their win yet, I'm here to tell you, you'll get the win. You'll get it if you stick with it. And then once you get it, utilize that win and that confidence to get more. Because it does give you confidence. It gives you this, what we call this momentum. And, and ride that momentum as long as you can because, yeah, it's going to go down, but ride it to excel your future. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and here's what I'll say to the younger CKL. If I look at, so this is actually my second podcast. In my first podcast, it was back in 2008. And that was actually the early days of podcasting. And that was when Tim Ferriss and Lewis Howes and all those guys were getting their start. Or obviously they have, they were writing their successes in other ways. They had bigger platforms. But, but then I was looking at them and say, ah, I did eight episodes. I was like, ah, forget it. Nothing was coming back. Then I quit. So one of the biggest lessons that I learned from actually doing the first and the second podcast is this, it's actually not about the outcome. Yes, pay attention to the outcome for sure. We all want you know, to have our egoic mind linked to the effort, to some success, the outcome that we want. And at the same time, it's about paying attention to the process. Yeah. I find so much fulfillment doing podcasting, and engaging deep conversations with people. So that's 
what I ought to focus on. And, and for me, I don't know what your spiritual beliefs are, but for me, this is part of my dharmic path, right? This is part of my, part of who I am. It's, it doesn't make any logical sense. PhD researcher now turned to a podcaster. What the heck? Quite a path. Yeah. Yeah. What the heck? But, and then a Chinese immigrant who didn't speak English, who actually had a huge problem in even speaking aloud. But the way that I see it now is this is my dharmic path in empowering people who are totally in their head, who want to speak, who want to share, who want to support others in the world to find their voice and actually discover whatever their dharmic path is, whatever their greatest you know, life's greatest work is. Because I went through it and I'm still going through it right now. I'm certainly not done with my journey yet. It's still part of the journey. So I get to actually share whatever I learned to the younger kid who is totally in their head, who wanted to speak, but couldn't, and who is like desperately figuring out how to actually share their wisdom with the world. So it's so important for us to talk about the process because the process is what 98% of it. And the other 2% is when we have the wins or the accolades or the goals that we achieve. If you don't enjoy the process, you're going to be very unfulfilled and unhappy once you reach the finish line and realize, okay, that's it. What's next? I'm going to go into the next 98% of the process that you don't enjoy. You have to enjoy the process. Matthew McConaughey talks about this. There's a really good motivational video. I think he's put Matthew McConaughey motivational video in your search engine. And he talks about how when he started really focusing on the process of enjoying acting, having fun with acting, the process of becoming the character and doing it. That's when he won more awards. That's when he got more roles. That's when he became Matthew McConaughey. So enjoy your process and think like you go exercise. You get to go exercise. Like the fact if you can go exercise, you can go to a gym, you can walk there, you have legs, you have arms, and you can do the exercise. You have the ability to like do something. That is something you get to do. That's something you have to do. It's something you get to do. So enjoy the process and whatever you do and you're going to be a lot happier and i as humans we all have these thoughts of oh shit i gotta go do this today or i have to go jump on this podcast or i have to go speak to <laughs> yeah but no i get to go i get to go speak on a podcast show and empower people i get to go speak to that person that may work with me or not i get so change how you word something and you get the opportunity to do it. You don't have to do anything. You get to do it. And by changing how you, you phrase the wording of it, it, it changes everything. Your mindset. And so joy the process. I look back and my I started podcasting five years ago. And I've had three podcast shows. The other two are like niche ones. The main one I've, I've had has got over 400 episodes. But I'll tell you what I enjoyed the most was my first year of podcasting. Mm, interesting. I was editing the shows myself. I had a full setup, a mics. I had a Zoom H6. I had two blue mics. I had the headphones. And I interviewed people in person. And I think what I, I know what I loved the most about the experience was I didn't have much money. And so I was traveling the country, interviewing people in their office, like you, where you started to build the connection, you wanted to learn for your own selfish beings, and I did too. And and so 
I had those interactions with people in person and I would sleep in my F-150 pickup because I couldn't pay for hotels and I would eat canned food or $5 footlongs. And I did all these things to, to do what I needed to do, but I love it. Like I enjoyed those trips. I had so much fun. I'll never forget those. So I actually enjoyed the process so much. I miss it sometimes at those times. So again, for you starting out, I'm telling you, I enjoyed the times when I was broke at times and I was sleeping on my truck. It was fun. So enjoy your process and it'll make everything else worthwhile. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's actually very endearing to hear that. Well, Brandon didn't just start off as being a celebrity award-winning producer. He didn't just like all of a sudden award-winning producer. He actually went through his own journey in the beginning. And, and, and as you said, actually to, to me is actually even more endearing to hear that's what you did versus yeah. you know, overnight success to all of a sudden award-winning, you know, producer. Nobody can relate with the award-winning producer or whatever you see online. Like, oh, this guru. I, I think introductions, I should have actually added this. Instead of introducing all the things you had success in, first start with all the failures you had and then go into what you achieved because that's how I can relate with people. We all have been through obstacles and we all still are going through obstacles in life. I don't care who you are. You have something in your life that's an obstacle and you're dealing with it. We just have different ones in life. So the more that we share them, the more we're vulnerable and share who we really are and what we've been through, the more people can relate to you and see you as a human being, not this person on a pedestal that nobody can relate to. So vulnerability yeah. and authenticity is what makes you stand out in this online social media world that everybody thinks is picture perfect. Yeah, no, this is actually perfect. So why don't we segue there? I think that's a worthy conversation to have. <clears throat> if you look at Instagram, everything is picture perfect. Everything is glossy and 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 then beautiful and and nice and then filtered. And, and for me, so certainly I I'm still in my journey to being a total human being. The people that I admire most, the De Chappelle's, the Jerry Seinfelds, they're very successful at what they do. But why I admire them isn't their success. Why I admire Dave Chappelle is a great example. Is he is who he is. And he has achieved some level of mastery. He's, you know, unabashed to express himself to the world. And that like just takes balls. And I really appreciate the way he, he does that. So certainly I'm on my own journey to, yeah. to get to that full self-expression level. So I'm curious to know from your point of view, was there a journey to go from, let me be just to show the glossy side to now being more and more human? And, and, and if so, what are some of the steps that you took as a way to share more of yourself holistically rather than just the professional side, the speaker side, the, the guru side, and so forth? Yeah. I think it takes hitting rock bottom to get to the realization that who fucking cares? I Honestly, like, it, it, I don't need people to think that I'm whoever I need to be. Like I, early on, I was obviously, I was, Hey, this is me. I got it all figured out, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't have it all figured out. And nobody really does. Nobody really does. Like even 
I don't know what billionaire I was talking to. And he said, Brandon, we're all on this earth trying to figure things out. <laughs> and so I, the one moment, very specific one that made me realize that, hey, I'm going to share who I am. I'm going to I'm going to just say how I feel and I'm going to be me. And, and that was when I was going through the journey. And when my wife and I went through the journey for our show, Success in Your City, the whole concept was, hey, we want to figure out what the true meaning of success was from other people around the country and do it before we got married. And so mm-hmm. we heard from people. And our first story we featured was Shea Hillenbrand, a guy that had made $20 million playing baseball. He was a two-time All-Star, played for the Red Sox. He played for Dodgers, all these different teams. He left the game. To one, he wanted to spend more time with family. And two, he wanted to fulfill his childhood dream of going and having a zoo. So he left baseball. He spent time with his family. He bought this ranch. He spent a lot of money and created the zoo. And within three years, he lost it all. He was living out of his van. His wife left him, and he was suicidal. He took a bunch of pills and was hoping that he would die. And he woke up in this van, and he believed he found God. He saw God. He, he, he said, I felt okay. I should have been dead. And, and before that happened, he's like sitting here. All these people envy me, think I'm a God, think I'm this known baseball player, whatever else. But deep down inside, I feel like a piece of shit, and I want to die. So that perspective, hearing something like that, the people with the accolades or the Emmys or the awards, all that, that doesn't mean they're necessarily like happy. And so hearing a perspective from somebody that had reached such a high level and hit rock bottom and now doing his own thing, that really, I had a lot of respect for that. And it changed how I looked at my own identity. But then I experienced it a month later because after doing that first episode, Samantha and I went to Texas And in the process of doing all this, producing a TV show and everything else, I had things going wrong in my business. I had one business that I had a business partner we had to buy out. I had a big speaker event in LA two months prior that the fires happened that week. So our attendance was a fourth of what it was supposed to be. We were playing a lot of income for that and it crushed us. And so I was in a very bad financial situation at that time. And so I was in such a bad situation that my one bank account had negative thousands of dollars into it. And my uh, wife today, we were in the same hotel room and she was going through depression. She was not very happy. I was feeling like, what am I going to do? And it forced us to believe. It forced us to believe in a higher power because at that time I didn't really know if God existed or whatever else. And so we went to church and I felt at peace. And so when hitting that lowest moment of, obstacles in business, no money, a significant other, we're in a huge argument and she's not happy. And I felt like a loser that pushed me to look at life differently. Ultimately, like a week or so after that rock bottom, I had did a deal that made me a lot of money and I was all back in the game again. But when you experience something like that and you hear these stories of other people, there's other ones of a guy we featured that was homeless at one time, all these rich significant, interesting people, it gives you a different perspective on life. And so now my perspective is, I'm going to tell you straight as it is. I know my success isn't necessarily just based on the bank account. It's based on my happiness, not what other people think of me. So I do things how I want to do them, and I do them on my own terms. 
The problem is with society, they do it thinking about what else somebody's going to think, whether they're living a life their mom or dad wants them to live or a significant other or their audience. You look at Dave Chappelle. He's got balls. I, The fact that level he does things, he says exactly what he thinks, which a lot of people are thinking too. And he says it, and he does it in a unique way, and he's been able to build something out of doing that. Most people will say stuff that is just bullshit. Like they're just saying what they want others to hear. That's not me. For me, I'm going to tell you straight what it is, and I'm going to do what I love, and that's it. And that's and and so how I got to that point was hitting ultimate rock bottom from a relationship standpoint, financial standpoint, and how I felt. And then once I overcame that, I realized, hey, it, it doesn't this whatever the the on TV or these accolades or what's considered a success. That's great and all, but that doesn't mean you're successful. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, there's a, shall we say, so I did Vipassana. I don't know if you've ever done it before. It's a 10-day meditation retreat. I have and the whole idea of Vipassana is to actually hone in, to learn, to cultivate the mechanics of, of how the Buddha achieved enlightenment. The whole idea of it, the whole teaching, the number one thing that I got from Vipassana is the source of suffering. There are two. One is grasping for things or craving for things that, yeah, I don't have, as well as for aversion, pushing away resistance to things that I actually do have. And, it, and whenever I'm grasping or averting something, that's where the source of suffering happens. So a big, that's so part of the human condition is this desire for what is not. Hey, this is reality. I don't like this or, or I like this other thing, right? Your grass is always greener on the other side. So it's insidious or it's part of the human condition. And then to learn uh, how to actually not evaluate, not assess our own self-worth based on our bank account, our popularity, what your our spouse think of us or what our social media audience think of us is part of the, I would say, the noble warrior discipline, right? If we want a, a life of fulfillment is to say, hey, there is that and my self-love, how I think about myself isn't based on that thing. So I so appreciate what you just share. Yeah, it's, it, it is so true the more you can just be really real with yourself and you, some people may have got so far down the path. They don't even know who they are anymore. They've lost their identity. And that happens when you sell a business sometimes, or you get out of a relationship because everything you communicated and how you talked about yourself was around that one thing. Uh, once you really figure out who you are and what you want and start communicating that to the world, you'll be a lot happier. There'll be a weight lifted from you. I'll give you an example. You mentioned I, I, I sold ice. So I grew up in the ice business. I worked with my father selling packaged ice for a living called Adam's Ice Service. And so that was always a part of my identity since I was born. And so I knew one day I wanted to buy the business for my father. I ended up going to college, graduated. I eventually went and bought the business for my father. After I bought the business and a few years go by, I realized I, I started having conversations in my head that, I might not be doing this for the rest of my life. 
But what I had told myself for many years, I said I would never sell the business. It would always be a part of me. And so I started to have this conversation myself, like, Brandon, like, what's best for you? And so once I realized that, hey, I don't know if I want to sell ice forever because the focus on this is taken away from the other areas that I really want to focus on. I had the conversation with my father and it led to eventually selling the ice business. And it was very hard for me because it was such a part of my identity, everything. And so the day that I sold the business and was completely out was probably one of the most freeing things for me because I no longer, one door was closed and another open. And all of a sudden all these other opportunities opened up for me, but going through the process of just, acknowledging I had to do something I always said I would never do was very difficult because my identity was that what happens is when people sell a business, they're so caught up in that identity, the relationships, the friends, everything involved with that, that afterwards, they don't know how to, to be a human anymore. They have to completely change their identity. They have to pivot. They have to um, transition. And that's again, another thing I learned from the Shea Hillbrand story was identity. So quick, so quick injection there. So part of what I do is to empower people who are going through that transition, that identity yeah. shift process. So if you can go into the details of what did you actually do that empower you, knowing what you know now, right? Having gone through it on the other side, what advice would you have to someone who is going through it right now? What tactical things can you advise them to say, hey, Here's what I did to get out of that dark night of the soul moments. Yeah. It's starting by having open conversations with yourself and the others around you about what you're doing. Because it is very difficult. But then when you do, let's say once that sale is done and you're done with the business, it's very rarely, just so you know, many people when they sell a business to somebody else and they keep them on for a while, it's rare that person goes out to the full amount of the contract because like they just can't stand how things are run. It's not their way anymore. So that's why the companies that are buying you out usually want to do extended because they, that's better for them versus a one lump sum. So the earn up. Yeah. The earn up. Mm -hmm. So, so for me, what I did is I just acknowledge, Hey, this was a part of my life and I'm at peace. What I did. And I'm happy for the years I had and experiences, but now it's time for me to go to the next thing. And so once I channeled that energy to something else I was working on, which it helped that I had something else I was already doing, I was able to give everything to it. And there was no other part of me at all that had to think about the past and the business I was in. Nothing. It was all in the past. It was no longer anything. I never even had to focus again forever. Close the door. And focus on what's ahead. Don't look to the past because no matter what happened, you can't change it. It's done. Close it. Go to the next thing. And so that's what I did. It, it, man, it was a weight lifted from me. I was so much happier because it was very difficult for me. I was so stressed going through the process. I, I felt like I let people down. I just felt different. Yeah. For sure. So let me reiterate what you said. Okay. So what you said is really think about it, about closing a chapter that was then this is me now. And also you also were fortunate to have something else going so you can leap right into the next thing versus 
still grasping for, you know, what should I do? Am I, my identity still tied to the business and so forth? Cool. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. One of the things that actually I wanted to emphasize here is your reputation preceded you for years before I actually, you know, met you in person. Yeah. So one of the things that I really got from you is this fire that you have. <laughs> right, this fire, you can call it joyful life, this aliveness, this, this desire, this, I don't know what else to say other than inner fire. So have you always been this way? Was this fire cultivated throughout? Because I, I can tell you, for me, my fire was very quiet. It's so quiet that people thought I was a robot. And it's cultivated over time to really pay attention to this joyful life. So I'm much better now than say, again, throw again, the younger CK under the bus, you know, than the younger CK. So I'm curious to know from your Brendan's life has always, has the young Brendan always been this, this eager to live life at its fullest? Yes, I have. I've always had energy beyond belief. I think seeing my father running the ice business early on, his excitement for life and achieving is ingrained in me as a kid. And I've always, I've been very competitive and going back to like where that at, at a young age started really ingrained in me was I was always trying to prove something. So for me, I, because I had that speech impediment, I, I wasn't like everybody else. So what would happen is people would mock me be like, oh, you can't speak or you can't. I wasn't like them. So I wanted to prove that I was worthy and I was like them. And that's where I, I worked to gain my ability to communicate. And so what happened is that wanting to please people and be worthy and prove that, hey, I'm better or whatever else that went into sports. So when I played sports, I, I was very competitive. It, it went into the gym. Like when I worked out, it went into competitions. It went into all areas of my life. It went into business. It went into making money. I always wanted to achieve something and prove, look at me. I got this. I achieved this. I'm better than you or whatever it is. And so that was something that fueled me and very competitive, but having the energy, I'm going to go. And, and where my life changed is partly it was because I went through a MITT program, which I know you're familiar with. And, and that opened my eyes to the patterns that were driving for what I was doing. Now, there is positive to that because, look, it did drive me to achieve things. But the tweak I needed to make is I didn't need to do it for everybody else. I just need to do for myself and say, hey, pat my back. And be like, you did it, buddy. You don't need to hear any kind of recognition from anybody else. And so – that's where the fire really had engaged in me before at a young age, always being competitive, trying to prove something. And, and now I'm still competitive, but I do things for the right reasons and I'm doing it for me. Yes, I have some loved ones and I want to make them proud and I am, but it's mainly doing it for me and I don't have to prove shit to no one. <laughs> that's a quotable quote. I don't <laughs> shit for no one. No, that's actually really great. And I can feel it, right? It's, it's not from a place of compensation that you're competitive. Like I, yeah. you're not doing it for the sake of proving that you're worthy per se. 
that's the way you know that I'm feeling about it right now. Uh, yeah. You're doing it for you because you enjoy it so much. In life is a game. And you're having fun. You love business. <laughs> that yeah. that much is also evident. You love business from a very <laughs> young age. You're like, I love it. It's a game. It's a monopoly game. You know, it is a game. Maximize. You know all that. So I really appreciate that. And to me, that also mirrors my my personal story as well. When I was younger, I don't know where I got this idea from that I have to be smart to earn the love from my parents, from people around me, and so forth. So I was always paying attention to being the smartest in the room. And as you said, it's great, right, to be book smart, to be intelligent, and at the same time, there is also a cost. Of leaning on that too much, because、yeah. I became intellectually arrogant. Yeah, you're not smart enough for me. Let me go to a room that's that I can learn from, and and it has a huge cost to my relationships. I was total a total loner growing up. Yeah, and 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 also my my self worth was leaning so much on how smart I was, and that was a total. Illusion. <laughs> yeah. Also, so my my point of sharing all that is, and now, smart or not, I can be total stupid on this show too. <laughs> It's totally okay because I know, I know my self worth isn't depending on that. It's totally、yeah. okay. It's、so. it's, a, it's a freeing thing knowing that, and what you mentioned, feeling like you are. I've felt the same way before. Like, oh, like they're not good enough for. I need to be around people that are more like me or whatever else. You can learn something from everyone, and the second your ignorance and ego get involved, it'll kill you. you、yeah. I, I always try to be the underdog, and and we only know so much. Yeah, obviously we know things, but we have a lot to learn. And if you go into a room saying I can learn something from this, that's a different way to look at it versus Hey, I know it all because you and I both. Have, Been there, you feel like you know it all because you have some certain success. Society views. Yeah. The more I learn, the more I know how much I don't know. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it is so. It's it's so humbling and and it's so exciting too. Yeah.、Uh, because now I know. Hey, I can always learn something from all of my guests, from anyone that I speak to. I can. I really. Appreciate and enjoy this quest for for understanding for for mastery. So I'm curious. I wanted to dive into more of the relationship side of things because、yeah. you've been quite. This is an inquiry that we both have when we first met. How are you? I'm notoriously bad about building relationships. I want to, and at the same time, my I just notoriously bad about it. So I'm curious to know, as someone who focuses a lot of time in cultivating relationships, building relationships in a strategic way, how do you think about relationships, and how do you go about doing it? First off, so I'm just curious, why do you think you're bad at it? Uh, yeah, great question. Thank you for pointing it out. 
I would say there's a lot of tension of keeping in touch with people, caring about them and building relationships on a deeper level. But my actions don't always correspond with my intention because there are so many people that I know. Yeah. And yeah, so there's the lack of action part or the lack of consistent action rather is the part where I can be better at. Yeah. And that's a good segue. So action, so building a relationship with somebody is adding value. So we do this in business. We do it in a relationship and your significant other. If you don't add enough value to that person, then what's going to happen is that relationship's going to lack. One of the best advice I got from my brother, he's been married now, I think 20 years. Mm. He, uh, is it 20? Wow. Oh my God. I think 23, well, not quite, but he, a long time. Mm -hmm. But he said at my wedding, he said, Brandon, it's not 50, 50, it's a hundred, hundred. Yep. In the relationship, the wife and the husband, each got to give it a hundred percent. And another thing I learned just from terms of relationships is you always date your wife. Never what does date that mean? Brandon. Always date your wife. Always take them on a date. No matter oh, I see, see. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so the, when you go back to value, think about the relationships you want to be in, let's say, business with, want to work with. How can you help them? Because if you think of somebody at a high level in business or influential person, they have so many people reaching out to them, wanting something from them, trying to take something. If you come to them, where you really actually want to help them and you do it, you don't just talk about it, you do it. They're going to listen to you and then they're going to reciprocate. So for me, starting out to build relationships, and this is, I'm going to go to different aspects of this, but I'm sure. going to talk in terms of high level business. So for business, what I would do is I would find, okay, here's a person I want to collaborate with in some way. I would go consume their book. I would Google them, research them, learn everything about them. And this would lead to the podcast interviews I would do too. I would figure out ways to work with them, help them, make them money, help them achieve their goals. And then eventually, once I got that relationship in front of them and in, in person with them, the rapport is built. But it's getting to that point most people don't get to. So you actually got to invest a lot of time and effort and sometimes money into a relationship and not knowing if it's going to turn into anything. So invest in that, build rapport with that person. And then once you build a connection, continuously find ways to help them achieve their goals or make them money or whatever it may be. I'll give you one specific example. I, when I was 20 years old, I got a mentor. His name was Cactus Shack Berenger. And he was a great mentor to me. And he opened my eyes to what was possible. But I also saw he had made a deal in Shark Tank with Kevin Harrington. And so I always knew that one day I wanted to work with this guy named Kevin Harrington. So for months, I would read his books. I would study his stuff. I would follow every – back then, actually, I don't think he was on social media that much. But I would find different ways to understand who he was. He was from Ohio. He was a young entrepreneur that started selling seal coating stuff for driveways. He eventually went on to invent the infomercial, but I studied. And then I 
I had this idea to put on this big event in Iowa called Young Entrepreneur Convention. And he was one of the main speakers I wanted to get at my event. And so I remember for three months going back and forth, talking with his assistant, trying to get them to have him come speak. And it was obviously a fee. It wasn't, oh, I had to pay a fee. At the time, I didn't have the money. But I constantly was persistent, sharing the value that would come from the experience. And eventually, I enrolled others to be able to help pay for that fee. And after five months, it led to getting him committed to come speaking at my event. But then another thing happened. Before he even spoke at my event, a connection said, hey, if you fly to Florida tomorrow, I can give you a 30-minute car ride with Kevin Harrington. And I booked the flight, flew there, and got the car ride. So we had the in-person interaction. And so I had my opportunity to share that I knew about his past without even he, – if, if you were in a room with somebody that you never met before and they start sharing, oh, I know you sold ice for a living. I knew you grew up in Garneville, Iowa, whatever it is. Like you're going to listen. You're like, whoa, how do you know this about me? The same went there. I built the trust and relationship with this guy at a higher level. He knew I had already paid for him to come speak at my event. That weekend, we formed a deal together to launch a book. And that went on from launching a book to now we have investment in five companies together. So it was a long game. Play the long game in the relationship. And it, the fruition from your work may not, you may not see the profitability or the, the, hardcore relationship for six months or even a year. But when you do, it's going to be very powerful for you in your business and what you're doing. And it doesn't even have to be business. It could be something you want to learn from. You want to learn from a mentor. Hey, go work for them for free and learn from them and build that rapport with them. So that's in terms of the business side. How can you add value? How can you help them understand who they are now in terms of when you're interacting with people, on a regular basis, for one, listen. Everybody else wants to talk about themselves. Listen to them. Learn who they are. And then in your conversations with them, it goes back to the speaking. In my mind, I have all these different file cabinets in terms of experiences and things I've done that can relate to that person. So based off of what they say to me, my message that I speak to them about is going to be catered to what they like to do and something we have in common. So if they mention that in college, they played rugby, I'd be like, Oh yeah. What was your position? They'll say, I'll be like, Oh, I played flanker. I played at Iowa state university. We have this commonality and then we can are connected. So they like me. They're more likely to talk with me further. I'm likely maybe to get their phone number. We might jump on a call. Maybe we do business together, find ways to, Find a commonality between you and the person you're talking to. And then the next step is following up. What happens is many people, when they're going to events or they're connecting on, let's say, a, a Zoom call for metal or something like that, they talk with somebody, they build a connection, they say they're going to follow up and talk in, but it never happens. So you got to follow up. You got to do that call. And then you got to follow up again. And then you got to constantly cultivate that relationship eventually it will turn into something, but also don't have a, like a, a schedule. Hey, after this many calls, we got to do business together. No, just know eventually something might come from it or something might not ever come to it, but you'll have a really good, meaningful conversation like we're having. 
So add value, do your research, find commonalities between you and the other person and communicate with them. Now, one other thing, when you, this is why I think video is so powerful. So video tells stories, video builds trust. It, it draws emotion with people. When I do calls, any kind of call, it's not just a phone call, it's a video call. If you don't do a video call, you're losing out on opportunities to communicate with somebody and connect with them. It's proven when people can see our eyeballs, our eyes, they're more likely to trust us. If I was wearing glasses right now, you'd be like shades, you'd be less likely to trust me because you can't see my eyes. Facial expression, when you're smiling, it engages a smile in somebody else. There's a lot of communication that happens beyond the words that come from our mouth happens through how we engage and interact with people and the tone of our voice and the look in our eyes and our, our eyebrows, all this stuff. So do video calls to build trust with somebody. And so for me, putting out daily video content, what am I doing? I'm building trust with a lot of people. And then when I meet those people in person, it's not a, oh, hey, this is who I am. It's, oh, man, I love your videos. I've been seeing your stuff. They know everything about me. And then it's, it's a warm introduction, which is more likely to lead to doing business together versus going farther down the process of maybe six months later doing business. So it's another way to build trust with your audience. So be authentic, care, want to actually help people. And in business, the quickest way to get somebody's attention is making money or pay mm -hmm. them. I like that. So let me do a quick recap of everything. The framework where you present yeah. from, the, from the mindset that you're taking on is this is a long game, right? That you actually care. That this is not yeah. just some strategic outcome. And, and, and wait, actually care too. Don't just mm -hmm. act like you care. Actually care. Because if you don't and you're just trying to play, I can read that shit a mile away. You actually got to care about the person. Yeah. So that's the mindset you take on. And then you start to study on knowing what they want. You read their books, you watch their content. So you really read between the lines of, who is this person about, right? What they're committed to, so forth. And then you focus on adding value. You provide a space of listening. You actually actively listen. You help them achieve their goals. You help them make money. And then you ask them about what they like to do, right? So these are ways, different ways to add value to these people's lives. And then when you have that, before the in-person meeting, you want to have a, a video call as a way to cultivate trust, right? Seeing yeah. them in the eyes, seeing their, their facial expressions. And then in the in-person meeting, then you can share more about uh, what you know about their past, then potentially launch a, a book or some kind of project with them together, and if not working for them, and then actively follow up with them. So say... Yeah and do what you say you're going to do. Is that accurate recap of everything you said? Yeah, 100%. And, and the whole doing what you say you're going to do, this is where a lot of people actually hurt themselves, is they'll say they can do something. They'll throw out all kinds of things. Hey, I can help you do this, do that. But they, they can't actually follow through with it. So when people do say something, like if I'm going to go say, hey, this is what I'm going to do for you, I'm not going to be telling the world, hey, I'm going to do this, I can do this for you. Like I'm, I'm when I say it, I mean it, and I'm going to back it up. And what happens is when you do that enough, people know you're good for your word. 
And if you're a kind of person who just throws out, hey, I can do this for you and you don't, you're not reliable. You're not a reliable source. But when you actually follow through enough with the right people, they can trust you. And they, when you say one thing, they'll know, okay, Brandon says it, I trust it, we'll go with it. Yeah. So let's go back to the source though, because you identify Karen, Kevin Harrington yeah. as a potential mentor, collaborator that you like to work with. Yeah. How did you pick that person just from watching him from a distance? How did you know that before you have done, before you're committed to really cultivate this partnership? And I asked this question for the viewers who are watching this and specifically because, you know, thousands and thousands of people, millions of people, eight or 7 billion people available on the planet in, I wanted them to pick, right? How the right relationship to form, to invest ultimately. Yeah. So think about who's somebody you want to become in your own way. So who's somebody you look up to? And this could go, let's say you're in sports, you're in business, you're a music singer, whoever. Look at somebody that's already achieved what you want to achieve and has been there and done that and somebody you could see yourself being friends with. And so that's a first step. The reason why I picked Kevin is because I related to the fact he grew up in Ohio. I grew up in Iowa. So we both grew up kind of in the Midwest. I liked that he was a young entrepreneur knocking on doors and trying to sell himself in terms of selling the steel coating business. And then he was selling high chairs and he was doing all these things, very young entrepreneurial minded. So I like that. And it was cool. I thought the fact that he was uh, a judge on shark tank for a couple seasons and the whole infomercial thing. So that was cool. Like that stuff I could relate with. And so I saw that and I thought, I want to figure out how he does what he does and do things at the highest level. So I picked him. For you, for whoever, find the person you want to know and understand and be able to be in your own way someday and, and figure a way to work with them and get them. They'll share everything they do with you. And so yeah. I've picked uh, I have people in my life that I've built relationships with over the years because there are people I want to be like in my own way. Yeah. So recap, someone that you can relate to, someone that with the kind of success that you aspire to have, right? Whatever domain that is, could be business, relationships, whatever it may be, physique, yeah. all, all different kinds of domains. And that's actually really beautiful. One thing that I share on the podcast quite a lot is this uh, idea called the airport test. Yeah. Right? Can you imagine yourself being stuck with this person for at the airport for six hours? <laughs> yeah. you know, what is your gut reaction? Are you excited about it? Are you like, oh my God, I can't wait to drop in with Brandon, you know, at the airport for six hours? Or is your gut reaction like, yeah, it would be great for the first 20 minutes, but afterwards it would be like a chore, right? Yeah. Can you actually sustain your enthusiasm, your interest in this person? To me, my definition of richness is and wealth is how much I'm enjoying the moment. So yeah. if I actually enjoy the moment right now, then that could be a really rich relationship that I have. So it's not just about the strategic uh, aspect of the business part, but I actually want to enjoy the moment. Sharing that, enjoying the moment, like one of the key components to humans is we want to be able to have relationships that we can connect with. So whether it's your significant other, your friendships, the tribe you're in, and, and that's ultimately what we want. 
I think that's over all everything else. Like one, obviously we need food to survive. We need something over our head to live in. But the next one is we want to fit in and communicate with other beings. And so when we can connect with people that we really enjoy connecting with and being around, that makes us happier people. But I feel like your net worth, not only in your bank account, but in terms of your overall well-being is based on the people that you surround yourself with that make you the happiest and help you perform at the highest level. Yeah, for sure. And to me, it's actually not about, you know, 10,000 people. I think it was uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. He said, I really, when I pass, I want a, g- a gazillion people at my funeral. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, you're already dead. Who cares? One. And two, to me, that's his metrics, right? So I'm saying it in jest. But for me, it's actually not about the number of people. Rather, it's the depth of the relationship that I cultivate with people I want in my life. So it's not 10,000 or whatever, 5 million Instagram followers. Rather, it's the depth of relationship that I actually cultivate with the people in my life. Yeah. So question for you. So if you think about cultivating relationships, because I have friends who are multimillionaires where they're busy, they don't have a whole lot of time. And they also have friends who are in different socioeconomic class as well. So they enjoy long conversations. So the question I'm about to ask is this, cultivating relationship, I like that it's no trust and giving the amount of time that each individual have, they may want to just get to the deal point really fast or they may want to have a slower ramp up hey let's talk about our history our childhood where you're from before we get to the deal point so for you how do you gauge just how fast to do the pitch because i've heard friends who said a few different school thoughts one is wow this person just go right to the pitch which is a no-no or this person to actually talk about relatable childhood things and that was very awesome so when you talk to different people how do you gauge your initial conversation yeah so i think the first step is depending if they're coming to you you're going to them Mm. coming to me and they've already studied my stuff and they want to say they're interested in somewhat working with me based off if it's somebody i want in my life and i think i'd help them then hey that might happen on the first call but for a lot of things i do if i get introduced to somebody and there's a way that we can collaborate. Let's give an example. I do a lot of calls that could lead to me advising their company. After that call, I do my due diligence and research on the person, the company, the board, what they're doing. And I want to understand, is this something I want my name a part of? Is this something I can align with? Because I'm not just going to try to get a deal. For one, if I don't think I can help them, I don't want to be a part of it because that's not a good deal. Two, if I don't believe in what they're doing, it doesn't align with who I am and what I want to do in my lifetime. I don't want to be part of the deal. So I want it to align with everything that I want and what I believe in. And I want them to be a good person. If there's an opportunity to make a shit ton of money, but I think the intentions for what they're doing is very not honest or, or true or good. Again, I don't want to be a part of it. So doing my research, I always do a lot of research Usually before I join a company and then be on their advisory board or work with them, I will do hours of research to really see what it is behind the scenes of who these people are. 
and just doing my due diligence if whatever they said they are, they are. So that's my process in terms of how we do it. And then from there, I don't try to force something. If it's, I believe what's meant to be is meant to be. I really do. I, there are certain cases where I, I really know I can help somebody or be a part of what they're doing. I'll be a little more persistent and follow up, but I'm not ever going to try to force something because I think I've done that before and that's not good for either party. But I really believe what's meant to be is meant to be and everything happens for a reason. And when you think of it that way, you don't get so let down when something does work or do, it doesn't work in a certain way. And I like that. Yeah, it's true. There's all saying you got to go on a few dates first before you try to have sex with the other person. That's not all the case, certain things, but in business standpoints, you got to get to know each other before you try to go into business together. Because when you're in business together, you're in bed together. You're literally, especially if you're in a business partnership with somebody, that's a big thing. It's, it's just like a relationship. You got to communicate. You got to know each other, what you guys or needs are and how you can help each other. Because if you don't know that you're going to fail. Yeah. Having gone through a few startup implosions, intimately involved in one and what you just share is worthwhile to really let it simmer in it is going business with someone not just making a deal right and i think that's one thing that's a one-off thing but you actually are co-founders or partners together it's as intimate probably not as intimate but it's 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 very close to actually being married it's a business marriage you're going to be able to see their best as well as their worst. So really have that vein diagram overlap between what, as, as you said, align what both of you or all, all of you believe in, align where you can add value and being complementary to each other. And uh, yeah, and then you can neg- negotiate the, the more detailed uh, deal points. Right. And when you are in business or in a relationship together, communication is so important. Right. There's times if you have an argument or disagreement, just get it out on the table. And it's not, it's uncomfortable sharing certain things, like if yeah. you're having a confrontation. But if you don't do it, it's going to become worse. That's so right. Put it out on the table when you're in business. Share exactly what you don't like about what the person's doing, or even be open to say, hey, how can I become better? Same goes for your relationship. Because if you don't, you hold it in, it'll lead to a, just a bad situation in all realms of it. So, so let's actually talk a little bit about the filters slash tools, because this type of conversation is actually what a lot of entrepreneurs and I discuss. I think this is maybe a, my romantic notion, right? I, I have a romantic notion that, Hey, if we get before we sign a deal as a co-founder or partners together, let's go do an ayahuasca ceremony together, or let's actually do Spartan race together because we get actually get to see what we are like under stress. And, and if you like what, which is then great. And when let's proceed, if you don't like it, chances are (laughs) the same behavior will proceed during other challenging times during our business relationship. I'm curious to know, are there, knowing what you know now, are there the stress or simulated stress test that you 
would put your other potential business partners through? That's a really good question. And I, I think that's true. There's a little saying that you find out who somebody really is when they're losing or they're hitting a difficult time because you just see who they true, their true colors. I, I would say what I've done before is I've had certain people that I've collaborated with where they've, for example, I've done masterminds at my parents' cabin in Iowa where they got to be meet my family and they got to uh, see where I grew up. We got to go shoot guns together, ride four-wheelers and do all these things in atmosphere that most people don't do. And so those had been people that I had been working with and I had already vetted who they are as people. But those kind of experiences together allow me to figure out who I really want to work with even more in the future at a higher level. So the more that you can do business together or go through different tasks or, or things that some not related to business, you can really see who that person is and learn about them. But I think it's a good idea. I've never actually said, hey, let's go do a race or go do this before we decide to do business together. I think it's good to test things. People try to go right into the relationship. I also think you don't need to be, you're like, oh, let's form a business together. Let's get into business together. And we have equity and all that. That makes things very complicated. Why can't you be in a relationship where you work together and you form deals where you each get in on the deal, but you don't necessarily have LLC together or your business partners together in that sense, because that's where it gets complicated. When you yeah. actually have equity and companies together and your business partners, that's where it can get a little touchy, especially if things don't go out the way you want it to. And yeah, yeah. I agree hundred percent. They actually brought to mind a few possible ideas for those of you that are thinking about sort of my line of thinking. And it doesn't need to be super strategic. You can always be aware and observe and just watch, right? Is, hey, do some extreme sports together, go skiing together, go to uh, maybe go sailing together on the high oceans, the high seas. And then again, just be aware and watch how you are, how they are, and, and also the communication during adversity times. You talked about communication. Are there tools that you've come across as being extremely useful? So for example, a tool like five love languages would be a tool or radical uh, honesty as a tool, as a kind of like a protocol, right? Are there tools of communication that you've come across that you're like, uh, hey, it'd be great to actually implement into a business. So that way we all have the same language the same approach to bridge our communication disagreement. Yeah. So I guess I could probably, I'm not going to give you like the, what you're expecting. If there's a certain book to read or a certain professor or whatever, I'll tell you what I've done. The sure. I've looked at is like, for example, I'm constantly trying to figure out how to be better on the camera. And eventually if I'm going, if I was going to be an actor in a movie, how would I go about that? So I, I watch certain movies and when I'm watching the movies, I see how they, they act, how they do what they do, their strategies behind it. And same for speaking. I watch the other people that speak and I, I watch what they do and I see, okay, what's something I can take away from that to help me become a better communicator. Another one is like NLP. 
neuro linguistic programming and so like mirroring. And I guess I will give you an exact thing to go check out. Chris Voss, who's in our group, is, mm-hmm. you know, I've learned so much in the power of negotiation in sales with his book, Never Split the Difference, but also his masterclass is the bomb. I think it's like the most famous masterclass. And he used to be an FBI negotiator for hostages. People's lives are involved, but he relates it to business. And it's how you word things, how you structure sentences, how you communicate it, and the tone of voice that you use. There's so many good things in that. And again, learning from somebody like that helps me communicate at a level I want to communicate to get things in my favor, to enroll others into what I want, or making somebody feel like it's their decision. I'm sharing a thing that I really want, but making them feel like it's their choice and they choose that, which is in my favor, versus telling them what they need. Yeah. Let's actually talk about that for a moment, because we use the word strategic, and it has certain connotations. And in, in strategy is a tool like anything else, right? So you can use it for good, or you can use it for evil. So when you use the word strategic, when you are enrolling them into doing something that you want to achieve, what's your thought behind using this tool for good versus using it for yeah so first so, good. so i really believe in what i do and and I, and i will go all in on my strategies if i really think i can help somebody and so if i really believe what i do and if i think i can help somebody my goal is to get this person to like me the highest level trust me and realize that i'm a safe person to work with because mm-hmm. They can't see that right away until once we actually work together and they get to the other side, they're going to feel the experience and get the whatever happens from that experience. But I, I got to get them to like me. Mm-hmm. So my strategy is if I see a person that Kevin Harrington was an example, I'm going to find ways to get them to like me, to trust me, and have us be on a certain level where we have this common understanding where it's likely for us to go do a deal together. So it's, it could be mirroring, could be in a room. I could be mirroring them. I'm listening to them. I'm letting them talk more than anything. And then I'm just sharing different things that we have in common that can help us gain this camaraderie and experience together, offering things to help them. I know that once I help them, that they're going to want to help me in return, but I'm not asking anything. I'm fully a person of service and utilizing these little things like listening and communication, sharing stories that can relate to them, introducing them people I want to know or they want to know, or sharing things that I know about them that they didn't realize I knew about them. These things build a lot of trust with them, which ultimately leads to us doing business together and making money together. I like that. Full target mode. If I know that person, we can work together and we can help each other. I'll do all kinds of things to get them to like me. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there, but the number one thing that I heard from what you said about using these strategies, these different tools, these different path, because you fully believe that you can enhance their life. Yep. Once you believe that, then you use these tools at its full capacity because you're going to enhance your life, right? Yeah. And I'll share one other strategy. Video is a key component to everything I do. 
So I start out, I forgot I did this with Kevin. I did this with other people too. I created, I, this is when I used to wear a suit. I put on a suit and I created personal videos and I, I made them, make them customizable to them. It'll be like 60 seconds, 90 seconds. I'll create a video. I'll upload to YouTube so there's a link. And so I'll say, hey, let's say, hey, Kevin, you and I have this person in common. This is how I know you. I, I created a personal video for you you can watch here. Thanks, BTA. And so that personal video, the fact that you took the time to create that video, but also in the video you shared things, how you know each other and, and more about them, that builds a connection. So I've utilized that tactic to connect with people, but also I'll constantly do that. Like on birthdays, I'll create a quick video on my phone. Sometimes I'll sing happy birthday to them. I'll send them that video and they got this video for me. That's all for them. And these, again, they can see me. They're, that's better than a text saying happy birthday. They can see my eyes. They can see my happiness, excitement for them. I'm saying their name. I'm, I'm, I'm making them feel really good about themselves. And this is, again, I'm on their mind. And so the more that I can do these different things where they're thinking about me, when they're going about doing their day and they're coming across these opportunities, because I may be on their mind because it's something I had sent them a few days prior or whatever they saw online, that means they're going to be more likely to think about me when that deal comes around or when that opportunity comes. So get people thinking about you all the time. And at a very strategic way, beyond social media, it's sending that personalized touch, the personal video or sometimes a package or a signed book or a postcard, something that stands out. One is you send personalized videos during their birthdays or special occasions. So then that way you can showcase you know, your own facial expression. One is uh, you send them a particular uh, package. They call it uh, lumpy mail, right? Or whatever tchotchkes that you may have. And also handwritten notes is another thing that a lot of people do as a way to cultivate relationships. relationships. Because in the internet days, most people just send emails. And that may be good, but that's a very crowded channel. If you and actually send out handwritten notes to someone, in these days, people actually remember that a whole lot more. Because what I remember these days when I receive a handwritten message or letter from someone, I remember tremendously versus an email or a Facebook message that I hear from people. Yeah. yeah. Is there a particular platform, by the way, that you use as a way to connect with? Because I'm a technologist too, right? I know we're talking about human things, but you know, what technology platforms is your preferred technology platform? From a social media platform you're saying, or? or uh, for, for this type of one-off -on, one personalized. So is it Marco Polo, is it Twitter, is it Facebook, is it, yeah. you know, so, voice notes? What do you use? So I'll do multiple variations. I, uh, if I have their number, I'm just gonna text them a video. I'm gonna record it, and I'm just gonna record a video that's less than like 45 seconds and just send it to them via text and that directly to them. I will sometimes send a voice message, but I more times than not, it will be a video because the voice text message, they got to take the time to actually press that and then listen to it. But if they see a face, they're more likely to click it. Mm. I do utilize social media, DMs here and there, and just engaging and constantly they're reminded of me. So mm. there's different aspects. I might in one day, I might send a video text or a video to somebody by text and in that same day, send them, a, a email, personal email. So it's like two hit at both different sides. And so it'll be different variations that they're getting something from me. So it's not just all in one medium. Mm. But DM is huge too. 
like some of the conversations and relationships I've built from DM messages, just a DM here and there, having a conversation. And eventually it may lead, hey, you want to jump on a call? Let's collaborate. We jump on a Zoom call and then that call leads to maybe another call and then eventually it leads to doing something together. A lot of relationships have started with direct messages on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. How do you gauge the frequency? Because let's, again, use the dating analogy as an example because everyone can relate to that. Let's say someone is emailing you or messaging you five times a day. Whoa, that's a lot. That's too much. That is too much. That is, unless you're married to someone, there's, there's a lot. So it doesn't feel right. It just on the gut level, it feels a little weird that this person is perhaps a little, there's a sense, there's a sense of desperation per se. Yeah. But if you don't message them enough, let's say once a month, let's say it's easy to forget them. You're like, oh, who is this again? Because they get constant barrage of messages or incoming messages, people trying to reach out to them. Again, I'm talking about maybe dating. I'm talking about medicine business. So how do you find that sweet spot in just the right cadence of touch points? Yeah, it depends on if it's somebody you've never talked to before, or somebody you've worked with before, that will decide. So there's been people in my career where I wanted to get them on my podcast show. And sometimes it was the seventh email that they responded. And so like most sales are done between the seventh and 19th time you approach somebody, that seventh email worked. And, and you could be sending an email and then let's say they don't respond within two days. And then uh, two days later, you send them a DM on Facebook. And then you, it's in different ways that they're seeing your stuff that's posted. If somebody, and let's say you want to get their attention for whatever it is, you can send them, let's say, a video. And then maybe two days later, you send them the email. I don't have a structure like, hey, after this, I do this. It's just... For one, just know, don't be fucking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's direct. There you go. Don't be annoying and, <laughs> and, and just get their attention. But sometimes, let's say they didn't respond to your text. You could engage them with a question like how or what question. So what is, I'm trying to think of a good example. How have you been or have, did my message get through? Or that's a bad one, but what are you doing on this date? Or a good one to get their attention is, hey, I got this event coming up and you might, I was thinking maybe you could be a good speaker. Would you be interested in introduction? Something that is speaking to what they would want. The best one is, hey, I got money for you. <laughs> like, mm. Hey, I got money for you. Or I have something that for you because them, that's you're speaking mm. what they want, they're going to be a lot more likely to jump onto it. So you have thousands and thousands of business acquaintances, friends, and perhaps even mentors, right? How do you turn them from, Hey, I like you to let me pay you to be a client. To, if they like me to pain. Yeah. That's transition, right? Going from, Hey, I, and trust to paying clients, right? Let's say they know you, they like you. How do you go from trusting you to now paying you as an expert? Yeah, I mean, a good start to the, the, if you have a book, so like 
how mm-hmm. many books the first thing that they they get it's less than 20 bucks they get a book and if they read that book that means they're going to hear all about your story which means they feel like they have this connection with you mm-hmm. and if they read that book and they hear about your story they're more likely to reach out which could lead to a consulting deal or a business deal or something like that you just having really genuine conversations so let's do through the whole funnel Mm-hmm. People watch Brandon T. Adams' videos. Yeah. You see them. Yeah. They DM me. They tell me about them. I ask them the right questions in terms of what they're doing, what they're working on, what they're trying to achieve. And then based on the conversation, I may say, hey, I got some ideas. Maybe we could jump on a quick 30-minute call on Zoom. Yeah. yeah. Jump on a call. Based on that conversation that we have, I will either understand, one, that I don't think I can help them. So that's Two, I can help them in this realm. There's three boxes. And yeah. in the boxes, they would get a lot of value from listening to my podcast show. I'm just going to direct them to that. They can learn more about me. And I don't make any money from that, but they're going to listen to it. Yeah. So it could be where they're at in their career. They they would be great to go through one of my academies. It's a, a They pay for it, and then they get into my program. It's not one-on-one with me, but it's a Facebook group, and it's a course and learn from that could be a box or I could see that they're a level where I know I can help them on a branding standpoint, marketing and helping them with their brand online. I say, Hey, I, here's what I do. Just so you know, I do limited one-on-one coaching or I do these group coaching programs. You may be a good fit. If you're interested, you can apply. So that's one realm or the other realm is it's a company where I think I can, advise them i say hey if you're looking to raise money i can help you do this here's all the things i can help you with there could be potential if you're looking for more people on your advisory board yeah video dm they ask questions i respond i ask questions leads to a call the call determines where it goes from there and that's where it literally turns into the potential sale and then straight up sometimes on that call just hey do you want to do this? Would you want to? Here's what it is. Straight up, do you want to work with me? Or it could be after the call where you send an email and you say, hey, I really enjoyed the call. I got thinking after the call. Here's a couple of ways I think I can help you. Um, here's a thing with more details. Let me know if you're interested. And from yeah. there, they can decide. And based off if they're really excited, they want to work with you, then they'll make that decision. Sometimes you leave it in their ballpark to be the one to take the action versus you really trying to sell it. Yeah. So these are the people that are reaching out to you. I have people reach out. Yeah. Right. So reach out. About, to so what about the likes of Kevin Harrington that you're reaching out to them? Is it the same funnel? Is it, is it no different? Where like, well, hey, Kevin, I reach out to you. Blah blah blah. I love to work with you. Da da da. Then do you just so if they're reaching out to me or if I'm reaching out to them mm-hmm. and I want to work with them, mm-hmm. I'm doing a call with them mm-hmm. in the whole call. I want it to be focused about them. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to learn. Honestly, I don't want to talk about myself that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to just learn from them what they're trying to do and, and hear it from them, even though I have some research already done and say, Hey, here's I'll offer introduction right away. I'll say, here's some ways I can give you, like I'll offer, Hey, every once in a while, if you want, you ever want to jump on a call, I can give you feedback on helping you prepare your keynote or one of the guys who's in metal, 
I, I was giving him some ideas to help get equity in a company. I think he could get equity in the company he's working with. And I said, hey, let's jump on a call. I'm going to help you strategize how you can take everything you're doing and not only get paid, but get equity in the company. So I'll just jump on a call with him and no obligation. I want to really help him. And if he does make money, I guarantee you he's going to find ways to help me too. Going into that conversation, it's about them. So if I'm the one reaching out, better believe I'm trying to help them. If somebody's reaching out to me, it's okay. I'm going to help them, but it's ultimately that they're in the position where they're wanting something from me and I can share how I can help them through my services. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. So quick yeah. recap, reach out to them, be totally interested in them and then see where you can have value and then just basically trying to help them. One yeah, other thing. That's the one thing. If, if they're, you're reaching out to them, don't have the first call where you're trying to sell them because you're the one that reached out to them. It's different if they're coming to you, but you reach out to them. You got to offer, hey, I got an introduction. And then right after that call, make the intro. Don't wait a week. Just do the introduction and hope that good things come for them for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One, one, one thing that I thought was really elegant and really cool is, uh, hey, if you have a, I've made a video course about this thing that people really love here's yours for for free as a token of my appreciation to you and here's something that may help you if you like it great a lot of people love it yep. yeah i thought that was a really elegant way to also pass on the goodwill and also demonstration that you are a domain expert yeah in, in whatever it is that you do yeah i do that too i have last night i gave out oh, six or so courses that are worth 400 bucks I gave out to people that did something like tag me on social media or something simple, but I'm just, it's a value. I want to provide value to these people and then get them in my ecosystem. Do you do that by the way, in established relationship with social media influencers, just out of curiosity, provide them with a free course. Yeah. Things like that. For somebody that's usually established, quite honestly, they're probably not going to go through it. Yeah. Um, because if somebody sent me a free course, I'm not going to go through it. Um, yeah. I don't really go through courses, but it depends on the situation. If it's somebody that's more beginning or really trying to learn something, then give them the free course. For somebody that's more established, I'm, I'm more open to open up my Rolodex to introduce a connection for them. I that see. They couldn't get, which yeah. is a lot to them because they don't have that direct connection. I wanted to actually emphasize on some, something. So there's a, here's a couple of ways. So for those of you who are listening, how do you actually add value to people's lives? So here are some of the things that we had talked about. I just mm -hmm. want to bullet them out for you. And then Brendan, feel free to chime in and, and add on anything else. Something that's going to advance their purpose. So James Altucher does the thing called 10 ideas. He would just send out 10 ideas. Hey, here's solve some 10 ideas that can enhance whatever it is that you're trying to do. Really listen, provide space of pristine listening to really help them just share their ideas because a lot of times they may not have the space to really be human. Help them be, do, or have more of what they already do to help them achieve a certain goal that they have to help them save time save money or make money. That's Brendan's advice. Whenever you help other people make money, they always 
their ears perk up, make strategic introduction they wouldn't have otherwise be able to have, and also share moments of relatability as well. So these are some of the ways that we have talked about ways to add value in people's lives. Anything else you'd like to add, Brandon? You did very well. <laughs> that, that, was, uh, that was all good. The making the money, helping them save time, introductions. Those are all great ways. I, I do want to share again the relationship side. And I want it thinking about a significant other. One thing I do for my wife is I do take her on a date every week. And mm. I can be in home, in the house, or taking them out to dinner. But I also write personal notes to her. Mm. I'll do this a couple times a week. I'll write a personal note. Sometimes just I love you. Or it's, hey, I'm grateful for you and everything we've done. Or sometimes it's more dedicated. And I'll put it on the table or put it on the fridge. Mm. And I'm big on doing personal notes or sending things every once in a while, sometimes a video or something that's just different that lets that person know how much I care. Words of uh, affirmation, or not affirmation, but like saying, hey, I love you or thank you for doing that. Those are all different ways to add value. And that's to my significant other. And listening to, these are ways to really build a really good relationship with somebody you love. And those same things can apply to family members too. But I think that's important. And I feel like I'm pretty successful at doing that for my wife and I. Happy wife, happy life. Happy wife, happy life. Yeah. And then for those of you listening, five languages of love, tremendous. It's a simplistic model, but to me, it's one of the most beautiful models that I've come across. So really understand what your significant other's love language is tremendously helpful. It can make or break your length, your relationship. Brendan, I want to be super respectful of your time. Do you have a few more minutes to answer perhaps some rapid fire questions? I do. Awesome. I do. Very good. One deep question and there's some rapid fire question. Okay. So you are at a unique position where you actually made your own documentary series that's now published on Prime, uh, Amazon Prime, as well as successinyourcity.com. Yeah. So from that perspective, I'm curious to know, what have you learned about the media business? Because you had shared already what you learned personally. So I'm now curious about the business side and media. What have you learned about the media business after you have done the, the documentary series yeah. production? Yeah. The person that creates the content the producer, the cinematographer that determines what the story shares. Mm. And, and the beautiful thing about our show is we are catering to the value. We want to make the best stories for the people that are involved and tell our story in the most efficient, not efficient, but like a truthful way. Mm. And, and I don't have somebody like Netflix paying me a shit ton of money to do it in terms of the way that's going to be best for them. Mm. Uh, because of that, I'm very truthful. I'm sharing the real stories. Now, how does that relate to TV world? You look at media, you look at content, you look at news. They are on an agenda. There's different biases based on the channel that you listen to, whether Fox, CNN, who's paying to keep their lights on. They're swayed by the people that are giving them money. So, I don't even watch the bullshit news because it's in an agenda to cater to the people that are giving them money. 
And so just know that you see anything on TV, you question the morning shows, all that stuff. Like, I want to know what's the real truth behind it. And so as a TV producer, how I look at media now is I want to know the truth behind it, who funded it, that determines what's going to be on the content and cater towards and what's their agenda, what is their goal with it. And I'm proud of the fact that what we're doing is real content. We're, we're really sharing something to advance people's abilities to achieve their own version of success. Not everybody else can say that in the world we live in because they're doing something that is really to advance either themselves or to help the people that are paying them to get wealthy. Yeah. Watch actually the first episode of the series. And I have to say, for those of you who are listening and watching, I sense the care right the tender loving care that you actually put into making the show and as you said the the truth uh of really showcasing your subjects so beautifully so for those of you who are curious about the human story behind these entrepreneurs who are passionately seeking uh, purpose and fulfillment and joy and meaning definitely check out the show that's something did that, that I got. Did answer go in the direction you were expecting it to go? A what? Did that answer I gave you go in the direction of what you were expecting it to go? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was great. It was perfect. So essentially, from making a show, you've seen the reality even better, right? You were able to pierce the veil a bit about, hey, what's behind a lot of these media productions. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Some, some rapid fire questions now. All right. What movies have changed the way you look at reality? Oh, I love it. Man, that is a really good question. The movies that change the way I look at reality. Huh. <laughs> you stumped me there. Let me think here. I'm just popping out whatever comes to my head. Sure. Something like Avatar and... Uh -huh. Avatar shows you potential of what the reality could be in the future. If we did go to an airplane or something else, that, or I hear Black Mirror. Mm. Black Mirror shows you really what our future is at or going to become. And so that makes me look at things in a different way that gives me a different approach to my work in terms mm. of AI, technology, advancements. And then I'm trying to think of one that a movie that's inspired me. I'm, I'm more inspired by actors, you know, mm. how the, this is why I love looking into the actor space or film is certain actors, how they say things and become a character and become one with it. You remember those moments that inspire you as a person is what makes you like want to do something with your life. So some actors over the years, like I look at Tom Cruise has been good in some movies. Who else? I'm uh, um, Brad Pitt. There's a couple others I'll think of, but they're just people that based on how they took on that, Matthew McConaughey, based on how they took on that role, it inspired me to go do something with my own life. Thank you. That was What's the toughest you? question I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, man. You got to keep you on your toes. So, yeah. yeah. What's your definition of purpose? 
definition of purpose is doing things that mean the most to me. And I feel like I'm actually making an impact on people's lives while doing it. So doing meaningful things that are actually helping people and advancing our, our world, advancing our civilization, advancing people's lives. Beautiful. Thank you. What's your definition of fulfillment? It would be doing things that I really love and do love doing and uh, doing it at the highest level that I believe I can do and, and constantly getting better at it. And, and that's in business. That's in my relationships. That's in anything I take on, trying to become the best I can be and, and using that to help other people. That's fulfilling. Beautiful. What's your definition of wealth? Mm -hmm. It's having the ability to, to do what you please to do on your own terms. And wealth is beyond the, the dollar sign. It is very important to have monetary in terms of money, but also your health and your relationships. So the wealth in all areas, not just one area. How are you feeling? How are you performing? How are your relationships? And also, what are your abilities to be able to acquire things that you want? Beautiful. I love that. What do you do to not take yourself too seriously? <laughs> do crazy shit. Honestly, like just be very random sometimes and, and just share the real life of how things are. Try not to act too like serious in terms of like, I got this figured out. That's what I do. And I also go home and I have fun. So I'll go shoot guns. I'll go my parents' cabin. I'll go do small town things that, that uh, makes me see life at, at the place where it used to be, where I'm, I don't have every day anymore. I love that. Thank you. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habits have most improved your life? Beliefs or habits that improve my life? That most improve your life, yeah. The belief, or I would say the habit of doing things that are really what I want and not doing it because of getting a dollar or because of uh, making somebody else happy. So really just doing things that I really just want myself. And that's just living on those terms. And then also truly actually wanting to help other people. Four years ago, I would say 2016, going in 17, I was, I wanted to help people, but I also had a side of me that's doing it for the buck. And I was trying to get any deal I can, but now it's more of, I just, I really want to help people. And that changed a lot for me in terms of how I look at different things that I take on and how I communicate to the world in terms of who I am. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. For your younger self or for anyone who is going through their dark night of the soul moments, the belly of the well moments, uh, the identity Christ moments, what would you tell them right now? Knowing two, what you know now. Two books to read. One, Think and Go Rich by Napoleon Hill. That book has helped me get through some dark times. Two, the reason why we wrote the book, The Road to Success, 
is to share with you the moments that we had going on when the world thought that our lives are in, in a perfect place and we're filming this show and traveling the country. Most people didn't realize that we were close to bankruptcy. My wife was dealing with depression. We had all these obstacles going on in our life. This book helps you understand that we're all going through these obstacles. It makes us feel not so alone. Also shows you the true, like what it takes to achieve a monumental achievement in life, whatever that may be for you. So I'd say go read those two books and also just know if it doesn't kill you, it will make you it, it like, it's fine. Like your decisions, people think the world's going to end if I don't get this deal or the world's going to end if I don't get this my way. No, it's not. The world's going to end if you get shot in the fucking head. Like, like <laughs> if it doesn't kill you, it's not that big a deal. And, and for me, one quick story, I think I'm glad I'm, I, this perked my memory on this. When in 2013, I was working for a company called Arctic Glacier Ice, and I was working in the family business, Adam's Ice. I was selling real estate. I was working 100-hour weeks, and I was managing about 50 people for the one company, and I had no life. I was working, and what happened is one day I hit a brick wall. I was driving down the road, and my I was starting to become feeling really weird and fuzzy and my eyesight was like bad. I pulled over and then my body took over and it like basically shut down. The ambulance came and I was in the ambulance and it was because of exhaustion, stress, not sleeping much. And like that night I looked at my life and I thought, dude, this is, what am I doing? Like I'm working nonstop and What's life about? It doesn't matter how much money I have in my account. And then two months later, what happened is I had a friend that died in a car accident. Mm. And I've never seen him in the casket. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, that kid's 21. Like, his life's over. And, and so that changed how I looked at life. It mm. made me realize that a business deal going wrong, you go, even if you do go bankrupt, or you have some very low moment in your life, if it doesn't kill you, then who fucking cares at mm. the end of the day? Because that experience made you stronger. And because of that, I don't take things too seriously. and I don't stress anymore. I don't. I love that. Thank you. So knowing what you know now, what's the definition? What does it mean to live a good life? Meaning to live a good life is, again, doing what you love challenging yourself, being around people that you enjoy being around. And if you don't enjoy being around somebody, then get them out of your life. You don't need to cater to them. And in doing something pur purposeful, doing something of purpose and then liking it. And we need to advance. If we're not getting better, we're dying. If we're not actually improving ourselves, our mental skills and our achieving bigger goals, then we're living a mediocre life that's boring and we're not actually fulfilled. And, and to go into like what success means to me or anybody else, the first question is ask yourself what success means to you. Mm. And by the way, it's changing as we go through different phases of our life. Yeah. Me right now, success means to me is helping as many people as possible through inspiration, motivation, education, through my TV show, through podcasting, through speaking, through coaching, through my events, through our books. That is my success and always becoming the best version of myself mentally, physically, 
and in my work life and also with the people I love and mm. spend time with the people I love. That is success to me. And that's where I, now five years from now, you can ask me. It's going to be very similar, but there may be other things I want to focus on. Maybe I want to go do something else. But right now, that's what success means to me. And that what's it, that's what it means to be happy. Mm, I love that. On that note, Brandon, I want to thank you so much for being here. We went through quite a journey on our two-hour conversation. Yes. You know, where I talked about your origin stories, where I talked about some strategic way to cultivate relationships with people, where I talked about what does it mean to live a good life from the strategic level all the way down to the tactical level. Really appreciate you dancing this conversation with me and really just show who you are as a human being, not just the Emmy winning, you know, producer, but actually a real person behind yeah. everything. So thank you so much for just sharing so generously with me and my audience here. Thank you for having me. It's been a fun journey. And I got to say, it's the first show that I've done over two hours. <laughs> 200 shows. And I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it.